This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. So, Jason and I have been really looking forward to this next hour. We've got two entrepreneurs where it's safe to say the odds were stacked against both. One is a minority, one is a woman. First up, though, we want to bring in Don Peebles. He's founder, chairman, and CEO of the Peebles Corporation. It's a privately held national real estate investment and development uh, company, a multi-billion dollar portfolio. They've got projects in New York, Philly, Boston, uh, D.C., um, Miami, San Francisco, also L.A. He also served on the National Financial Finance Committee, uh, committee, excuse me, of President Obama, and uh, has really done a lot. He joins us on the phone in Coral Gables, Florida. Uh, Don, so nice to have you here with us. Uh, welcome to Bloomberg Radio. Thank you. Good to be here. There's so many, so many different places. I know Jason and I want to go. I do want to start with though your vantage point in the real estate industry, um, one that has certainly felt the impact of the pandemic. We've had a lot of conversations about how real estate uses and demands may change as a result of the crisis. What is the impact from what you see? The longer term, maybe short term and longer term impacts. Great. Well, short short term impact. I think we're seeing it now. There's been a more of an exodus out of the cities. Um, and more so into the suburban markets. And then um, more people are relocating to uh, places like Florida, for example, uh, in preparation for the winter. But I think that you'll see um, a, a, a greater um, you know, stabilization as we get through this winter. I mean, the cities are not dead. New York City, while you know, it's, it's got limited occupancy right now in terms of office space, um, all, most restaurants are closed and other businesses are closed. Um, so there is a, 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 a short-term decline because tenants aren't able to pay their rent. And the office tenants who generate a lot of activity in the marketplace, the office workers are not there either. But I think that's short-term. Um, I do think that the um, pandemic has structurally changed how we will consume office space as we go forward. I think that companies around the uh, country and around the globe, especially here in the U.S., are reevaluating how they deal with uh, placing their employees, how much they're going to rely upon uh, remote working, which is proven for the typical office workers to be much more effective than um, most companies thought. And so I think that that will be a structural shift in um, the office use. Long term, I think that um, most retail um, is, has changed forever. But that was uh, pre-pandemic right. uh, technology. It had disrupted retail considerably. And so when you think about sort of the, the reorganization, the rethinking of offices, Don, you know, what does that mean? Does, does the pricing change? Does the relationship between the owner and the tenant change? Does what gets developed change? I, j I just wonder sort of thinking through the the mechanics and, and sort of playing that out, what it looks like. Well, I think that first of all, I think that the easy one is what gets developed definitely changes. It will, what gets developed going forward will change in terms of how the office space will be configured going forward and how protocols will be put in place uh, in terms of how people enter buildings, how we vet people entering the buildings in terms of health. And, uh, and even be, once this pandemic is, is behind us, uh, the new buildings will be better uh, designed and, and better built to address 
a future potential pandemic as well. I think also the close proximity of co-working and how most companies were shifting towards open yeah. floor plans. I think that changes. Isn't and that kind so, of a, sorry to interrupt you, but isn't that kind of amazing? Cause it, that really <laughs> felt like something and listen, you know us, I mean, you know, Bloomberg, like we were all about the open. We yeah. still are to, to a large extent cause nobody's really here. But I mean, that seemed like a, a trend that was just going into the, going into the future un, unabated in many ways. Yeah, I mean, Bloomberg was very innovative when you all built your, your offices um, 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 in, in, on the east side in the old Alexander site. Yeah. What happened there is you all created a, almost a live and work environment to a degree because you've got the open cafeteria. Everything was open. Um, even the waiting areas and so forth where visitors were open and your studios were pretty visible and open as well. So I think that that configuration is going to change to some degree, especially yeah. um, how work, how people work at their desk. And also, I think gone is going to be the days, even with the law firms and the like, where each individual has their own office or their specific workspace. I think that that will change because you'll see a lot more remote working and also those who travel to other locations will not need a fixed office. So I think the fixed office um uh, or fixed workspace has changed, will change. And I think also you'll see more uh, collaborative spaces that have some form of social distancing potential. And, and for the immediate use, uh, you'll see that in place uh, now. I mean, but you, I mean, you can really, you can see that across the board. I happen to be, by the way, I'm not in Florida. I happen to be in Sag Harbor, but yes. I was in Manhattan last week. And, 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 and what you're seeing in, in, um, uh, office spaces that are being utilized and very few people are there. And I think that's going to take a lot of time for people to come back and, and buildings are going to have to, and, and employers are going to have to tell people by action um, that it's safe to come back. So Don, let's talk about the wealth gap because it has been a subject that we have, I think, taken much more seriously, candidly, over the past couple months as we've really started to, I hope, embrace this reckoning that we're seeing around racial inequality and being Bloomberg and Business Week, we follow the money and the wealth gap is vast. I don't have to tell you. What do we do about it? Well, I think we've got to widen the opportunity. I think that there's no, you know, talent is, is, is distributed um, indiscriminately and, uh, you know, opportunity is distributed on a discriminatory basis. And I don't. I think that we've got to look at expanding access to capital, expanding um, opportunities in every industry across the board, and be mindful that we, as business owners and entrepreneurs and CEOs, have to take affirmative steps in providing fair access to uh, career and economic opportunities to minorities and women, uh, because both are severely underrepresented in every industry of any consequence in this country. You know, Don, though, you know, our team here at Bloomberg did a story about Silicon, black Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and how 
they had reached certainly success in their lives and, you know, in terms of Silicon Valley, but they were even having trouble being able to support other minority-owned businesses at their own firms. We're finding it difficult to get others to get on board with them. And so I wonder, what's the trick here? How do we change this? Well, I think that we have to, I mean, my industry is one that I think is has an easy remedy to it. It's um, you know, the real estate development business is a low barrier to entry industry. You can start off um, from any perspective um, as an entrepreneur and go into real estate development. It doesn't require any kind of license or specialized skill. It requires some talent and access to capital. And the capital that funds real estate is mainly through private equity. And uh, private equity's biggest investors are public employee pension systems. And so, for example, there's about $70 trillion in venture capital and private equity right now. And about 1.3% of that money is deployed to businesses owned or run by minorities and women combined. And yet a significant portion of the contributors to the public pension systems, the workers whose money is being invested, are minorities and women. And so if we can have fair access to that capital and those investors tell the allocators of capital that they want to see their capital deployed in a more diverse manner, prudently, by the way, but right. in a more diverse manner. Um, there is no shortage right now of capital in the marketplace. There's a shortage of where to deploy the capital. That's why we're seeing that the market react the way it is. Um, and so I think the other aspect that's important is people have to understand we're not in, we don't, in order to bring equality, it's not about redistributing wealth, redistributing opportunities. It's just expanding it and expanding um, opportunities to create wealth. And so, Don, how do those institutional investors – I agree with everything you're saying, and, and you're echoing something that John Rogers said on this program about the institutional investors and especially the public pension funds, which, candidly – They've gotten religion about some other issues. You know, sometimes it's around gun control and, and other things where they've essentially said, look, I'm not going to invest in certain sectors or I'm not going to invest in certain managers unless they meet these certain criteria. ESG has been an area, especially around the environment and, and climate, where they've done that. Why haven't they done this yet, in your estimation? Well, I think that in part because they are mis uh, misinterpreting their role as fiduciaries. I think that... The idea to pick the most qualified, the best, and, and, the, and the least risky is right. that the firm that's been around longest. And so if you're going to have an aversion to first, second, third time funds, then it's going to be very difficult for you to create an environment where there will be more right. minority and women managed funds. So they've got to be willing to um, make strategic, prudent investments in a, utilizing a different criteria. One that doesn't favor the established firms. And by the way, it's just as hard for a white male to, who starts off with no family money to go into this space also. Right. And so because the system favors the established larger firms. And, uh, and so I think they've got to change how that capital is deployed by how they evaluate where they're going to deploy it with. Right. Well, we could talk to you all day. This is fascinating. Exactly. As you can tell, we are uh, 
pretty into this topic, and and uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, I have said on this program and elsewhere that you know nobody at a public pension fund ever got fired for giving more money to Blackstone or KKR or Carlisle. I mean, it's just the system is built in in a certain way, and it needs to be uh, rethought. Don Peebles, thank you so much, Chairman and CEO of the Peebles Corporation, joining us on the phone from Long Island. Really thoughtful mm-hmm. um, and constructive in many ways, and he's exactly right that the institutional money has to change.